Welcome to the About Sex Podcast, where we would discuss... Macaroni and cheese! Well, some sort of pasta, but <laughs> my, oh, name, <laughs> I hope. my name is Josh, and with me, as always, is my lovely wife, Angela Skirtu. Tell us who you are, Angela. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and an ASEC certified sex therapist. Who's our guest today, Josh? Oh, our guest is Nicholas Mayo. M-S-P-S-Y-B-C-B-A-L-B-A. There's a lot of letters after your name. <laughs> I know. There's actually more letters after my name than in my name. I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> and letters make you cool. <laughs> so that's a licensed behavioral analyst and sex therapist, and you're in practicum with Linda Weiner. Yes. Angela actually was trained by her as well. Uh, yep. And you're the co-owner and CEO of Empowered, a center for sexuality, LLC, in Clayton. Yes. That's we- awesome. <laughs> Opened about two years ago. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. So what do you do? What are we here to talk about? Um, well, I utilize a combined approach um, of a, a lot of different methods, but um, predominantly I am a behavior analyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as a behavior analyst, um, I want to talk about how uh, sexual behavior can be addressed mm-hmm. um, through applied behavior analysis. I think a lot of people don't think applied behavior analysis when they think of sex. Can you, um, because some of our people will not know what that absolutely. is. Give me a brief. Di- yeah, I don't he's know. Like, What's applied Josh behavior? is raising his hand. If Josh what, doesn't what? know, we know the world doesn't so, know. Okay. <laughs> what is a behavioral analyst? So uh, applied behavior uh, analysis is um, not just providing mm-hmm. therapy, but um, setting objective and measurable goals, mm-hmm. um, taking and tracking data, graphing it, proving that the techniques are working on an, mm-hmm. an, an objective level. So it's very research-driven. It's like tracking it the it's whole time. It's extremely empirical, yes, yeah, that's uh, awesome. research-driven. That's and what we love here. We uh, love Evidence, that. research. <laughs> I don't like opinions. Keep those at the door. <laughs> it's You're allowed to have opinions, but we want facts or cool no. stories. Cool stories are allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't allow opinions, but go. We allow informed opinions. That's what we say. <laughs> there we go. Uh, So applied behavior analysis, uh, because we do the level of data tracking that we do, um, it allows us to know at any point in time if what we're working on isn't working. Right. And so we can then change the approach. Um, We also uh, tend to... Are you you working with large groups? Are you you working with individuals? So uh, predominantly, it's individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a couple of couples on my caseload um, that I'm working with as well. Typically, applied behavior analysis is used for uh, life and functional skills, mm-hmm. and a lot of people just don't think of sex or sexuality as life, life skill. And functional. It's a very important no, life yeah. skill. It is. I would say everybody needs it because nobody learns that particular skill, right. or you, if you do, it's through trial by fire. Oh yeah. Oh, it can burn definitely. It can right. burn a lot. <laughs> or for a lot of my clients, it's Google. Google. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Actually, not just, oh, I mean, Most, many of them actually do that way. A lot of way. young people learn through the internet about sex. Oh, that's really they cool. have some amazing misconceptions. Yeah. <laughs> well, because It's you, like, wait, they don't like it on their face? No, they no. don't. <laughs> that is not what a lady likes. Most There are some women who are okay with it, but I'd say it's a small percentage of the sure. overall population. Anyway, move it on. <laughs> Roll with the joke. <laughs> All right. So anyhow, you work with people on the spectrum. Yes, Uh, I do a lot of work with people on the autism spectrum. Um, I, growing up, I did not know that I was on the spectrum. Um, Mm -hmm. I just thought I was really weird. 
Um, oh, a lot you of seem people, pretty normal, though. I appreciate that, I guess. <laughs> no, uh, you I, seem I, like, like a normal guy. I kind of like, 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 well, what is normal, right? Uh, every, right. <laughs> what I say is nobody's normal. Yeah. Exactly. Um, not being normal is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But growing up, uh, my parents, uh, they were aware that um, I had been recommended for autism testing, um, mm-hmm. but they also were aware that anytime I had any excuse to get out of something, You'd I would take it. it. Oh, oh, okay, wow. yeah. And they did not want me to have an autism diagnosis to fall back on. Right. Um, so I did not know. Um, they didn't tell you. <laughs> no, they did not. Uh, and at the time, I wasn't technically diagnosed, so it wasn't like following me around or anybody asking me about it. Um, it actually wasn't until I started working with clients on the spectrum as an adult Mm-hmm. That I was like, hey, some of this is kind of marrying up with some of what I experienced. Wait, so you self-diagnosed? No. No. Um, I was working at a, a large agency, and mm-hmm. um, I was able to have an ADOS assessment, uh, which is a, a testing assessment for autism. But you had some ideas about it because you'd been a therapist for a while. Yeah. Well, I was in practicum. In practicum. Um, so I'd been around. And what is autism. that for layperson? Practicum's like an internship that is for therapists. Uh, yeah. yes. But that's not paid for therapists. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Pretty much your slave. We get our for two hours years. and you know do the work we need to do, but yeah. then yeah, we're slave labor for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, the agency I was with, they were really uh, they were kind and they were able to work with me. So they actually did pay me for um, any side stuff that I did oh, nice. um, while I was there. Yeah. That's okay. cool. So then, mm-hmm. you, so you thought you might have it, so you had somebody do an assessment for you yes and actually it was funny she uh she asked me why would you want to pursue this if you're already functioning as an adult and i said well i still have challenges mm-hmm. um and i would just kind of like to know especially because i had this kind of weird upbringing in childhood where i was having meltdowns a lot and you know if my shoelaces didn't uh form symmetrical mm-hmm. uh on my shoes after i tied them mm-hmm. um like both loops had to be the same It'd size they had to lay down flat mm-hmm. um so those kind of ocd tendencies would lead to complete meltdowns mm-hmm. um there was a lot of fighting um in school uh where kids would be picking on me, um, or I would perceive that they were picking on me. Um, Interesting. So sometimes they weren't. It was so, just sometimes they weren't. <laughs> and it was just your perception. You weren't able to gauge necessarily what what why they were saying what they were saying. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and you, in your questionnaire, it says you take things kind of literally, right? I do. I take things ridiculously literally. Um, <laughs> earlier, when you said mac and cheese joke, I was kind of worried. Uh, I was like, am I going to be mac and cheese on this show? Like, no, is that no. what's going to happen? Or if we're going to eat mac and cheese, are we going to joke about it? Because that sounds wonderful. So, I'll do I that. know. Well, next time you come, I'll have to bring a big bowl we'll of mac and cheese. bring a big cheese. bowl of mac and cheese. Yeah. One thing that I've learned as I do a like pretty literal <laughs> thinker is to kind of hold off for a moment and grab more context clues. Yeah. Um, Wait and see where they're going with it. Yes, it's really important not, not to, to be assumptive. Yeah. And um, on the autism spectrum, I think we're either um, too assumptive at times um, mm-hmm. or just unwilling to even face something at other times. Um, yeah. So I try and find that like middle ground. Context clues are so important. Yeah. So important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. So you kind of have to learn, or maybe even on your way growing up, you actually had to learn to like slow yourself down and look for more context. Maybe read. Did you have to teach yourself to read nonverbal cues? So um, I, I had, like I said, um, I, I'm 
what would be considered very, very high, high functioning. functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had some ability to read cues. Um, I just, I think I overread into a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then there were things like, I was really easy to manipulate. So if somebody was acting friendly, but doing really mean things to me, I was you like, this know. is my best friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, not cool. Not cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to go and do what I do, which is um, specializing in sexual behavior and now also getting my practicum in sex therapy, mm-hmm. um, is growing up, I was um, very confused (laughs) about a lot of elements of sex and sexuality. And um, luckily, I had really cool parents. Yeah. Uh, They talked to me whenever I had a question. They They were like, they did. Wow. We love education. (laughs) Um, Nobody does that. (laughs) (laughs) My mom, uh, she has a master's in uh, teen and adolescent psychology. Oh, that's why. And um, she's really awesome. And I think that that helped. She also taught charm school. And uh, she would have me come and sit in, but I was not one of the girls in charm school. But I I, I got a lot of those (laughs) kinds of lessons. And then also at home, uh, a lot of things that uh, would be considered more neurotypical behavior were very reinforced. Mm -hmm. And anything that I did that was what would be considered more autistic behavior, Mm -hmm. uh, my parents would kind of try and find something else for me to do or a way to Mm -hmm. get around it. Yeah, Um, they would try to help you with it. Yes. Well, and she has a master's in working with teens, so she probably mm-hmm. perfect Absolutely. person for that. Yeah. I also think that consistency in parenting is extremely important for mm-hmm. people who are on the spectrum. And uh, yeah, my you want fairness as a kid. Absolutely. And well, and you want to know what the rules are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to know right. what the rules are. You need exactly. to know consequence. And uh, I think you know, a lot of kids. I think in every general, kid needs that. That makes them yeah. actually feel more secure. Yeah. Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. with, with our daughter, she's actually very well behaved because we're very consistent with her. And that's it. It's consistency. Consistency well, is huge. I think it, it becomes, I mean, just to put it out there, like sometimes it's when parents, the difference between parents trying to control their kids and the parents actually trying to teach their kids how to be an adult. When mm-hmm. I think you're trying to teach them, you come up with the rules that are similar to the rules we have as adults and you leave out the other stuff that just doesn't matter. And what we find is we avoid certain power struggles that really are just about, I want to like control you. Like over what you. they're eating. Absolutely. Or, yeah, choose what your they, battles and let yeah. them grow up to be an individual. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, my parents were, I'm trying to raise, see a lot of people tries to raise children. I'm trying to raise an adult. Mm-hmm. Like my daughter, I want her to be an adult and functional and, we want her to have and empathy. successful. <laughs> and yes, to not be a terrible person. Right. Those so, are our goals. So Go continue. Sorry. Oh, we no, will cut no, you no, off all fine. the time. You're fine. Um, I was just throwing out there. Uh, I think another factor that played in too, um, my parents were both military. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had very, like, very rigid structure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was, I think, actually very beneficial for me in terms of functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then interestingly enough, I was considered weird and kids knew that there was something up or weird about me. Um, but it wasn't until I came out as gay mm-hmm. that kids started accepting me and they were like, Oh, that's what's weird and <laughs> different about you. That's <laughs> why you're so anal retentive. Like what? they fell back on stereotypes <laughs> of gay. <laughs> And no. they, they somehow matched up with some of the stereotypes of autism. Interesting. Uh, so that was just interesting. So maybe it's just, that... maybe just gay people who have autism stand out to other people. Quite possibly. Yeah. I, Perhaps. I, it's, there's an interesting, everything's a spectrum. So yeah. in some yeah. ways things fall over sure. each other. Um, Kinsey has uh-huh. his own scale. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, uh, once I came out as gay, um, I started actually making real good 
friends who oh, really? accepted me as awesome. me, um, who recognized a lot of my traits and kind of moved forward with them. And uh, it's it became more and more obvious seeing what was working for them and what was not working for them and what I wanted to do and what I did not want to do. Um, and I also, through a lot of failed friendships, mm-hmm. uh, I learned a lot of lessons about what a friend truly is and what they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, like characteristics they have. Absolutely. You know, um, the give and take of friendship mm-hmm. um, is very important. Um, the equality. Um, and then uh, what is this equality? Right? Well, that is the difference between a therapeutic relationship and a friendship, right? In a yeah. therapeutic, we're all giving to the other mm-hmm. person, but mm-hmm. in a friendship, there should be a back and forth. And actually, some therapists struggle with that too, right? Because we're so used to giving. Absolutely, um, <laughs> you're so giving. No, I'm not That's your biggest that. problem. I'm, I'm, no, you're also super <laughs> humble. That's your other problem. I'm so humble. <laughs> No, you're good. Um, so he likes to make fun of she's me. She's the humblest. Yeah, I, um, I do. I totally make fun of you all the time. So uh, it's fun. Theater, though, also. Um, so once Went I made acting, yeah, yes, oh, yeah. Once I made a group of friends, they were kids who got into um, drama, and uh, they were like, "Oh, you know, you're gay. You should totally you get should into be drama." In musical theater, yeah. And, right? So <laughs> I took you along all the stereotypes. Well, I know, but I went with it, and in you some ways, I'm kind of glad I did. Yeah. Um, because yeah. Uh, theater really did end up being very very helpful. Yeah. Um, learning to have to improvise mm-hmm. was crazy different and so yeah. important. That's and so I incorporate as much role playing and improvisation as I can into my therapy. Um, a lot of behavior analysts start where a client is and will make as many tiny little steps as they can to get them up to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree with that approach. That's a, a very standard thing in applied behavior analysis. Um, but what I try and do is I try and make sure that my steps are as large as they can be without being too hard on the clients. Yeah. Um, and I move as quickly as I can into role plays. Um, and I generalize uh, things by making them varied and random and real. Um, I think that that's an important component to helping things generalize to the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and if my clients are going to be out there um, learning about or learning with me about dating and sex and all of these things. You'll teach them how to like ask a girl out and absolutely flirt. flirting skills. Um, I have program flirting versus harassment. Um, oh, that tell us sounds, more about tell that. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, like, like really. But actually, like, a lot of young, even I'm outside sure, of the spectrum, I think a lot of young men and women would love something right. like that. Right. <laughs> like, I, I, whenever people are on, I always try to get them to talk about that. Because I think a lot of young men struggle with, and women, yeah. struggle with putting themselves out there. For sure. Um, so, so, how do you ask a girl out? Yeah. <laughs> right? How do you flirt and not harass them? I like that. So, um, you brought up something that is important too, is that applied behavior analysis is not just for autism. These things can work for anybody who wants to come and see me. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, insurance, uh, for whatever reason, typically only covers ABA for clients with autism because mm. it's the most effective treatment for them. Yeah. But it's also oftentimes the most effective treatment in any population. Mm-hmm. Um, it was developed to be used in any population. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, to get back into the actual flirting versus harassment program. Um, 
it starts out with probing questions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I want to get an idea of their understanding of flirting versus harassment. Then I have them watch some videos. I see if they can tact um, or label uh, examples of flirting versus harassment. Um, Then I will actually role play right in front of them. Um, You know, if I were to do this to a girl's bottom, like, what would, would this be flirting or harassment? Uh, <laughs> Most you know. of the time, so, harassment, right? with that one. <laughs> uh, so especially if I, go r- they ask for if I go right up to her and I haven't met her and the first mm, thing I do is that, um, that's definitely harassment. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Slap. So no. um, I get that, Bad touch. that baseline awareness. And baseline awareness okay. is a foundational um, concept in ABA. You mm-hmm. need to know their baseline so that you can get them from there to their goal. Okay. You don't want to teach them stuff they already know. They're going to get bored. Right. They're going to check out. Right. Um, so then uh, I do a series of um, actual targets is what we call them in, a- in a- ABA. Um, targets are uh, either questions or labeling things or actions, actual behaviors um, that indicate that the client is moving forward and making their goals. So the targets always lead up towards the, the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so my initial targets are uh, some examples of um, phrasing, mm-hmm. different things that are phrasing. Um, and then we start talking about body language, um, subtle cues, I only teach flirting and harassment after I've already taught body language and after I've already taught about consent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I start to apply those lessons in um, and I I start to work with that. Um, So I have them kind of basically define harassment, define uh, uh, flirting. Mm -hmm. And Flirting to me should be um, casual, consensual, and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah, people kind of... should smile at the end of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Or, or at least you know, not feel like they were harassed. Right. Not feel assaulted. They might not enjoy it. Yeah, sometimes people are like not right. interested. Not in interested. It, but yeah, that's okay. at least... But they shouldn't run away. Yes. Right. Um, and so uh, <laughs> I teach them um, about getting in there and uh, using those skills about conversations, which we hopefully have already worked on if they needed that help. Um, and we start working on back and forth where we will role play that we're in a flirting situation. Mm-hmm. And in that, I always pause if things start to go too far. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a very staunch pause policy where anytime I'm working with a client, if I say pause, we pause. Yeah. Um, so I check in with them anytime that they're giving answers that are not going to help them Mm -hmm. in their lives, such as uh, a blatantly incorrect response. Um, I'll check in. I'll say, pause. What could be wrong with that? And I let them start to kind of go through it too Mm -hmm. versus feeding them answers. If I have to feed them answers, I'll do it in as little a chunk as I can. So maybe a little bit of verbal prompting. Um, I try really hard not to model if I don't have to. Because the more they come up with it on their own, the more likely they are to retain this. Yeah. Um, it but was I, their idea. Absolutely. That's what you're trying to get. And <laughs> I also, even if they get it once or right once, I don't consider that target mastered. Mm-hmm. They have to get it right three days in a row the first time it's presented. Okay. So you're okay. tracking that. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so w- what else do you track? Like. Do you track everything about, do you follow them home and like listen at the door to when they're going to sleep? So, uh, (laughs) it depends on the situation. Um, so, uh, I have, um, 
at the beginning, I start with a behavioral assessment and the behavioral assessment is, uh, where do you want, where are you? Where do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the problem behaviors that are standing in your way right now? So any of those problematic behaviors, excuse me, <clears throat> I try to, uh, track and self-report is really tricky and, uh, people might change their self-report to impress the therapist or to not feel bad about themselves, mm-hmm. or they might change their self-report because their perceptive yeah. or their perception of what they're doing is maybe a little off. Right. Um, so I try not to do self-report measures on anything um, that is a particularly intensive problem behavior. Uh, if my clients are living at home, I'll have their parents monitor data. If my clients are partnered, I'll have their par- partner monitor data. If my clients are in a residential living facility, which a lot of them are, mm-hmm. um, then I have their staff take the yeah. data. So it's better to have somebody else track them so they're honest. They're honest recording. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I also test. So if I have multiple people taking data, um, I test for their consistency by any time I go out, I do what's called um, IOA testing, which is uh, the observer uh, agreement. Uh, sorry. It's IOA is uh, internal assessment of observers. Um, you're checking to make sure that uh, they are observing the same way they're coming up with the exact same, um, results where at least you want 90% plus. Um, so I do that, make sure that their IOA scores are 90% or above, um, so that I can make sure that my data is as accurate as possible. Um, now the self-report measures that I'll do are things that are like a little bit simpler. Um, uh, if they exercise, they'll put a check that day that they exercised for, you know, so long, if they, um, if they made an attempt to uh, talk to a girl and um, they were able to get through uh, at least uh, two sentences, if that's their goal, mm-hmm. um, then they can track that. Because there might not be somebody with them in that exact moment or somebody who's tracking the data maybe a couple aisles over and sure. not hear what's actually being said. So those types of things, I will have them do self-report. But typically for the problematic behaviors, I have other people do that. Yeah, um, And I've... Uh, helped with problematic behaviors ranging from um, putting a penis inside of a toaster um, and hot That's not where it's supposed to go. No. uh, From those types of things to rape-like behaviors um, to uh, behaviors that are just kind of getting in the way of romantic goals, like uh, a client who can't help himself because he has years of doing this behavior repetitiously, but um, will wipe boogers um, and then kind of play with them. Yeah. Um, that's something that's going to inhibit Turn your ability off. to date, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, people don't like boogers. <laughs> so those types of things. Especially if it's all over your hand, you're like, hi, nice to meet you. Right. Well, but in this client's case, likes the boogers. So like, yeah. why, why don't everybody else like it? So yeah, we have to kind of, we have to get yeah. in there, um, right. and teach an alternative <laughs> replacement behavior, uh, for if you want to entertain yourself. Uh-huh. Um, so, I do try to find what we call functional replacements. Things well, they have that, spinners, so that's probably good. I'm not a fan of the spinners. You don't like the spinners? I don't like the spinners, no. no. Why? I, I tried them when I first uh, when I first heard about them, mm-hmm. and I tried them, meaning I didn't even use it with a client. I was like, I want to see what this can do for me before I try to use it with anybody. Because mm-hmm. there's no long-term data on the fidget spinners. Sure, they're new. So, yeah. so I'm like, okay, what can I do? And so I start playing with it. And I realize 
oh my gosh, this is completely visually stimulating. Mm -hmm. This is tactile, somewhat stimulating, but it's got my eyes on this. Mm -hmm. And when my eyes are on something and I'm really visually stimulated, Mm -hmm. the rest of the world starts to go away. Oh, yeah. And so you totally get engrossed in it. You do. And so instead of fidgeting, that's why I had to stop doing it while I was driving. Oh, God. What? You were, <laughs> while you were driving? No, I wasn't doing that. Go on. No, oh, my uh, God. But the, the fidget spinner becomes an escape, and it actually it becomes a replacement behaviors for other escape-maintained behaviors. And uh-huh. escaping from a situation doesn't necessarily uh, teach you better. a skill. Yeah. Um, learning how to cope with the situation, make room for uncomfortable feelings. Uh, that comes from act mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, making room for those uncomfortable feelings uh, and actually getting through that's a skill okay Um, so if i do use a fidget i'll use something that is like in their hand and kept kind of low so that they're still in the situation and i teach them to use it in session then i start having them using it and whoever is helping them track data would also be tracking whether or not they're using it Mm -hmm. versus engaging in the other behavior okay cool it's interesting so you said you use songs sometimes. What songs have you used to help people? <laughs> well, um, I had a gentleman a few years back um, when I was first getting started, uh, and he uh, he was engaging in a lot of maladaptive behaviors. Um, he's the gentleman who had stuck his penis in hot oatmeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other behavior that was kind of prominent was an intimidating kind of rape-like behavior where he was trying to force staff to have sex with him or force his roommates to have sex with him. Sure. Um, So I got in there and um, even though the behaviors were very much adult, uh, the mindset of the client was very much uh, from his childhood. Mm -hmm. And so Uh, I'm looking at his reinforcers, things that he likes, that he can earn, that he will enjoy. Um, I do a lot of reinforcement breaks. I say, if you're, if you're doing good work, you should be rewarding yourself. So a lot of, a lot of that because self-love is important. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so I try to figure out like what his reinforcers could be. And I'm noticing everything was either Barney Sesame street, and then there's Mary Poppins. And so I'm like, this is interesting. So I spend usually my first session with a client um, who is what they would call, and I I hate the term, but lower functioning. Mm -hmm. Um, I will do side by side. So I let them engage in reinforcing activities for two whole hours while I just try to be near them and engage in similar activities. And if they're doing something very sensory, I'll try and find the value in it. that helps me understand the client. It helps the client kind of feel comfortable with me because I'm engaging in behavior similar to theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not asking anything of them initially. Uh, and what I noticed with him was he kept popping on um, a couple of particular parts of videos. And so there was a Barney song about the shapes. Um, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. I like this. Um, he seems very receptive to that. And then there was a particular Mary Poppins songs, Chim Chimney, mm-hmm. um, which he seemed really, really receptive to. Um, so as I was teaching him what's called a task analysis, it's a breakdown of the different um, steps that you would use in a skill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm teaching him a task analysis for solo sex, uh, all the way from going into his room to the actual ejaculation, to coming out of his room, washing his hands with his mm-hmm. pants up, of course. Sure. Uh, <laughs> washing his hands. Keeping Kleenex and by then, the bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So we, we worked on all of this. Um, but as I was initially presenting the task analysis, he was just so, um, he was very into it at first, mm -hmm. but then when it, we got to the point of actual, um, solo sex, actual masturbatory action, mm -hmm. um, he, he completely lost, lost his jazz. He was like, I like this. Like, this is how I perceived it was very like, I like this, but only for a minute, this is work at, after a point and I'm mm -hmm. not going to do work. We meaning uh, masturbation is work. Yeah, yeah. because anything I mean, I guess that was there is a work. Yeah, like, anything it. that was it, like repetitious and took more than a couple minutes, he didn't want to do. No. And, and that was across the board. I, I interviewed staff. I interviewed other educators. He gets too no, bored too quick. Yes. So I was like, mm. well, the only thing that seems to hold his attention <laughs> for like five solid minutes is Mary Poppins. There you go. Uh, so <laughs> I started to um, take my task analysis and I would sing it. To the tune of oh. Mary Poppins <laughs> as he was, uh, or Chim Chimney as Jim he was Chimney. doing this. Why don't you sing uh, us a couple bars? <laughs> okay. Uh, stroke up and down, stroke up and down, go all around. It doesn't matter. You're playing around. You could stroke here or there would be fine. It doesn't matter. It's safe when it's mine. So, <laughs> those guys. <laughs> Bravo. This is awesome. I love it. <laughs> Uh, up and down right yeah that's gonna be in my head all you're day you're gonna uh, sing that all day, all day long. <laughs> you can record that and get millions of views oh yeah i uh, <laughs> i also had a client who was hoarding sperm oh um, no so Where was he keeping it uh everywhere um in his oh. room uh only in his room but everywhere in his room so mm -hmm. um like drawers or just on things on things uh it wasn't in drawers, but most of his things were out, so it was on most of his things. Okay. Like his um, clothes, he might show up with stuff on. and He typically wouldn't show up with it on his clothes, mm -hmm. um, but we're talking like you walked in, there was a layer of crust over the room that you couldn't even pick books up off oh, the no. sh shelf. Okay. Um, That's yeah. bad. Yeah. So uh, any area that didn't already have sperm or semen he was going to ejaculate there and get everything kind of covered and so when i first went in i thought that the goal was covering the room like i was like oh he is trying to cover this room but yeah. again this is what's beautiful like about behavior analysis is that you do that functional behavior assessment you're interviewing you're observing you're doing what you can obviously i could not observe him engaging in solo sex mm -hmm. um so with him uh it was more talking to his mom about it, talking to his brother about it, his father about it. And then once he was comfortable with me, <clears throat> kind of getting into that with him. Mm. Um, and it turned out that he was avoiding messes um, and didn't want to add to the mess. So he didn't want to double up on layers. I see. He was spreading it out. Yes, so that it would be easier to clean one day when he got to it. He was literally spreading oh, the load. Oh, wow. Yes. But then he was procrastinating a little bit when it came a to lot. cleaning up. Which is common on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he uh, he wanted help, um, but he had been really afraid to bring it up. Um, I knew better than to bring it up on my own because when his mom and his brother had brought it up, he had shut them out. They weren't allowed in his room and hadn't been in there in over six months. Mm -hmm. So oh. they did not know how bad it really was yeah. um, because they saw it at its onset. Um, so once, uh, once I actually got to go into the room with him and we're using the motivation was that he wanted to get a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're going to have a girlfriend, she can't be coming over and seeing your entire layer of crusted no, up room. She so won't like that. Yeah. 
Most they likely. They don't respond right. well to no. it. <laughs> nope. They don't like it on their face, and they don't like it all over the bedroom either. So, <laughs> so um, with him, uh, I knew that he liked Disney parodies. Okay. He would YouTube Disney parodies. Uh-huh. And he also liked film parodies and other things. So parodies was like a thing. Mm-hmm. So I... They're fun. They are. They're yeah. fun. Um, so I took a Disney song, um, Let It Go. Uh, yeah. And I made it all about uh, ejaculation <laughs> and all about cleaning it up yeah. um, and about having the forethought to um, prep f- so that cleanup is easier. Mm-hmm. So Plan you, for it. Yeah. The so explosion. whether it's a, a bucket or a sock, have something a that bucket. you can <laughs> ejaculate into. <laughs> Uh, but clean the bucket out occasionally right <laughs> yeah so uh that song um actually worked really well um he got why don't you sing a few bars <laughs> let it go You're willing is it let it flow i i can try okay, okay. <laughs> it's been a long that this this intervention was years ago um okay <laughs> something white came out of me tonight and now it's nowhere to be seen i had me some solo action but now I've got a lot to clean. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like it. Uh, That's awesome. uh, And so um, the chorus, though, was, I think, where it was at. So the chorus was like, let it flow, let Let it flow. flow. Uh, Don't hold it back anymore. Let it flow, let it flow. Just remember to close that door. Rub it bare or use a sock, they say. Get your handball on. Handball. (laughs) But prep to ensure ease of wipe away. (laughs) Bravo. I love it. I love it. I think plenty of people can learn from this. And if it helps them learn, like, absolutely, sing along, yeah. That's uh, awesome. So once he was kind of accepting of the idea that that he could prepare... (laughs) Um, and he heard the song and he actually liked the song. He posted it on his fridge and I was like, that might not be the best place (laughs) for it. Um, So we had to work on that, but he really liked the song. Um, Uh, Yeah, I do. I don't know if it's fridge worthy, but. He well, t- maybe he, it is. He told me that, um, oh, at full length, it's Fritz Worth. <laughs> uh, but, but he, he told me that um, he felt that he was ready to move into actually cleaning the room. So I went with him uh, and I spent three hours cleaning it up. We got everything as clean as we could, had to throw some things away, mm-hmm. um, but we made a plan. And so uh, he was to ejaculate into a sock place the sock immediately into the laundry hamper. And then whenever he wanted to do the laundry, he could just take his laundry hamper and dump it out yep. right into the uh, washer. Yeah. And if you're a parent of a teenager, never touch it. Just dump yes. it right. out. <laughs> like, don't worry or about teach them to clean up. their own laundry if yeah. you can. Yeah, That's exactly. my goal. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, any teenager, don't touch their socks. Well, but sure. you know what? I even know adults <laughs> and couples who don't have systems or strategies for how they clean up with each other. Like mm-hmm. before they had kids... They would just kind of do it haphazardly. I'll do it sometime. You'll do it sometime. But then when you have children. Meaning sex or are you talking about I'm talking about cleaning. I'm talking about chores that like when they have children, suddenly (laughs) they don't have the system and there's all these all these extra chores. And so I've done a similar thing with couples where I'm teaching them the steps of like developing a process. So it's so interesting. But I mean, you're just even even at the very basic level, you know, like here's what you do when you are masturbating. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And it's cool. It's always important to um, remind people that they have choices and mm-hmm. um, and that I'm not there to control their behavior. Um, I'm not there to tell them what to do. 
Um, I'm there to provide them options. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we find one that works, I'm there to help them grow in that option so that they can grow towards their goals. That's Mm. awesome. That's really cool. (laughs) So you yourself had a little issue with solo sex when you were younger. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I use this as an example when I do um, some of my public speaking and I'm I'm emphasizing the importance of using actual terminology, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, especially when you're working with people on the spectrum or literal thinkers in general. Um, You want to use literal terms, very clear. it, it cuts down on, on so much confusion and it can help them report abuse. And I mean, mm-hmm. for so many reasons, but mm-hmm. my own experience uh, that I like to draw upon um, came from when we were first learning about solo sex at school. And of course it was masturbation. Um, sure. And uh, I had heard a couple of different phrases, but the one that really kind of stuck in my head was beat your meat. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was also kind of secondary or seconded by spank your monkey. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, solo sex or masturbation at the time. I was like, masturbation is where you beat yourself up and eventually it feels really good. Oh, no. <laughs> so no. Oh, no. so I went painful. home and uh, uh, as, uh, as weird as it may seem to people and even to myself today, <laughs> yeah. uh, I sat there and um, I tried really hard to um, to engage in this pleasurable activity that was only hurting me. So um, were you punching your genitals or just in punching, general your body? Uh, no, uh, punching my genitals, okay. um, s- trying to slap them like spank a spank. the monkey, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, getting very, very frustrated because it would actually... Because <laughs> you're hitting it, right? that's why. Well, and it would start to get erect. Oh. Oh, okay. And then I was like, "Oh, this is going places." So I didn't then know I'd that really it would start punching it like a punching bag, you oh, know. No. And then it went, and then it. it <laughs> was it like, like it's like one of those bags where it goes bump? Pretty much, bump. yes. <laughs> like uh, no. So I was, I was like, "Well, surely this is a sign that it's working, right?" Because punching bags are fun. Punching bags so are like, fun. Yeah. Like, this is what we're doing. Here. <laughs> started doing, started uh, doing but, a speed bag. But, uh, <laughs> I hurt myself. Um, yeah, clearly. And so uh, oh, it wasn't until I went back to school, and you know, I. I, at first, I was like, really, like, I'm not going to tell anybody about this. Mm-hmm. Um, at, people started, of course, because this was just after the masturbation talk. Mm-hmm. People were still talking about these kinds of things. And a kid had um, motioned the up and down motion with the sort right. of half enclosed fist. Right. Um, and I was like, that's an option. <laughs> like, what? That looks so much less violent. Um, <laughs> it, it does seem less violent than right? punches. So again, this is why role plays are better than verbals. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So when I saw it, I was like, okay, I'm going to use this. Um, and uh, I don't know if I wrote it in my response to you, but they had paired it with phrasing too. Um, uh-huh. So it was pulling your pud. Um, and yeah. so I was like, oh, you pull on it. Like, that's a thing you can do. Uh, <laughs> so I did it and I had much more successful uh, sexual experiences from, from there on out. I also well, learned very quickly not to uh, take idioms um, seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so That's the problem with English, actually. I'm assuming people with, who are in other languages don't have that as much problem because... English has a lot of turns of phrase. Yes. You use it all the time. And mm-hmm. it's so confusing to literal thinkers. It is, yeah. Um, 
So especially, uh, like you said, for people who are trying to learn English, mm -hmm. that can second be really language, tricky. it can be really tough mm -hmm. for them. Yeah, absolutely. That's why well, it's one I of the harder languages. I can to imagine learn. in the dating process, <coughs> there's a lot of um, so like people try to be nice, right? And so like even ghosting, for example, is a thing that somebody people do. Well, that's not nice. Oh, yeah. No, I it's can imagine nice, it being but confusing. People think it's kind of nice because no, they're like, instead of just saying I'm, I'm not say, interested, hey, we're not interested. Thank exactly. you. But like if you're I a literal thinker, I mean, I could see you just continuing to send texts, and then you're harassing, and then you're harassing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So exactly. how many uh, texts are harassing? Would so, you say seven is too many? I actually, I fall <laughs> upon um, an empirically validated model. Oh, there's um, one. There Yay. is. There is an empirically validated That's model awesome. that, uh, that has rules for texting. Wow. Um, it came from UCLA's Peers awesome. Institute um, okay. for teaching people on the autism spectrum social skills. Uh, awesome. And they found that um, if you message somebody once mm -hmm. and you don't get a reply, they might uh, just have been busy and forgotten. Mm -hmm. They might have meant to get back to you and forgotten. Um, or as does happen, it's rare, but we like to use it as an excuse sometimes. The text might have been dropped or right. just wrong didn't number. Go through, right. Or yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so in the event that that happens, um, there's a good reason to at least send one more. Sure. So we say, wait, you know, at least a couple hours to a couple days, send another one. Mm -hmm. Um, but after two messages, and this is uh, peers' um, copyrighted terminology, so I got to give them their their props there. Mm -hmm. uh, but the two message rule. Two messages. You do not uh, send more than that because if you've sent a second message, that's a reminder. Mm -hmm. If they needed a reminder, then they will get back to you. Right. Mm -hmm. If they did not need a reminder and they are ghosting you, um, then... Really nothing good can come at that point. Exactly. We're at the third message. Either they're going to get annoyed if they were going to get back to you because you're harassing them. Or if they weren't interested, well, now they just really want to block you. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, That's awesome. And so two messages. The two, two message, message rule. And uh, Don't forget that, guys. <laughs> even with the two message rule um, being something that is taught, it also in applied behavior analysis, if it's not applied, if it doesn't actually happen in my clients' lives, mm -hmm. then it's not actually therapeutic and it's just teaching right. and I, I can't do that. So uh, with the two message rule, uh, I actually check in on their texting mm -hmm. and I will look at their text conversations Yeah, and check in for how many messages are they sending. Anytime. So you're guiding them with everything. Oh yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I like to think of myself as Hitch. For uh, for people uh, with, with right, you remember Hitch with yeah. Will Smith. Uh, I'm kind of like Hitch for people who have uh, social anxieties, autism, or physical mm -hmm. disabilities. Uh, but awesome. I use uh, empirically validated methods versus you know versus just what you kind of know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> versus the streets. Uh, and I actually didn't come up with that. But uh, one of my clients a few years ago, he said, "You're like Hitch for autism," and I was like, <laughs> "I like that. <laughs> I'll take that." Yeah, that's awesome. So, what what other ways do you help them in their romantic life when it comes to is it mostly communication that you're communication is a big one. So yeah. um, a lot of people who teach uh, about communication, they don't teach the finer, more subtle cues. Mm -hmm. So I teach about things like um, if the person is blinking rapidly or if they stop blinking, there's probably either confusion or upset or at what you said. Sort, yeah. yep. um, like if they're like all of a sudden... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Or wide-eyed. 
<laughs> yes. So I teach my clients to start recognizing for those things. First, I have them memorize a list of good signs, uh, neutral signs and bad signs. Mm -hmm. um, and then we start role playing. And so can they label them when I'm doing them? Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, actual like flirt role plays will occur. And I bring in an actress or um, if they're into males, I will bring in an actor. Uh, it, so far, all of my clients who have gotten to that point have wanted a female actress. So uh, bring in my actress and she will engage in a flirt role play with them. Mm -hmm. And they know it's a role play. They know she's an actress. Um, she is employed by my company and HIPAA trained. Mm -hmm. um, so she's allowed to be in the sessions. Um, and so she comes in and she will uh, start to flirt with them and let them flirt with her. But the amazing thing is um, that I have her only rule is treat them like they don't have a disability of any kind. Mm -hmm. So if they start to harass her or they say something that makes her uncomfortable, she lets them know. Let, she and should I respond like a person. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so That's they know awesome. what to um, prepare for. Do you stop them at that point or you just so let yes. it go? Okay. Um, once she gives feedback or if she is giving feedback and they're not noticing and it's more subtle feedback, mm -hmm. I'll pause it. If she's given feedback, I'll pause it so that he can kind of plan how to respond um, and then kind of resume. Um, and usually I say, you know, uh, at some point you violated the social contract of in interchange mm -hmm. consent. Right. Um, and, uh, when you're talking to people, there is consent. You have yeah. to, you have to be gauging constantly if they enjoy the conversation, if they're interested, mm -hmm. if they want mm -hmm. you to keep going or if they need to say something themselves. Um, so in regard to, um, uh, the flirting and learning those more subtle cues, um, learning to look for uh, what I call like pleading eyes when the person's eyes are kind of going back and forth, like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, teaching them to look for breath patterns. Um, if their breathing uh, starts to become more rapid, they have anxiety. Either, or fear. Right? Yeah. Either you are doing something wrong or they have somewhere to go. So or they have social them. anxiety too. Quite that possibly. Um, a lot of people do, apparently. Right. Yeah. Um, then uh, also things like if um, if you move uh, or gesture towards something and they move or uh, look at what you're moving towards or gesturing toward, that's a good sign. If you move and they stay put, that might not be the best of signs. Um, if uh, If you put your hand on her knee and she tenses up mm -hmm. she hasn't said no but mm -hmm. that's not consent her, right. her body, body language said no. that's said a nonverbal no. mm -hmm. so again with uh always drawing back on consent uh that is my main like boom always and verbal and nonverbal i i think I've, we've been talking a lot about this this year because mm -hmm. of all the me too stuff Absolutely. you know like there is there are a lot of ways that people right. are not consenting nonverbally and the reason it came up was we were talking about louis ck where mm -hmm. he went Absolutely. to a hotel room two women came up with them mm -hmm. they were just going up there to hang out and then he said hey should i take my dick out and they said yes but their faces. But their were faces like, probably said no, or they were laughing, or I don't know. Or they were awkward. But, you know, yeah, like you can, who knows? What do you say? But, you but know? he did, <laughs> and yeah. he did, and, that's and that why was he a problem. So yeah. Um, and don't pull your dick out unless you're sure. <laughs> verbally and non. -verbally. <laughs> verbally and non-verbally. There we go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, 
teaching about the subtle clues and, and consent with consent. Um, I always use, I call it the four prong definition says yes, shows yes, understands the question, which means you need to ask it. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> right. And knows the consequences, which is also very relevant when I'm teaching about age um, and, uh, and animals and why they cannot consent. Like children cannot consent to sexual mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Animals cannot consent to sexual things. Do they understand the question? No. Um, a kid might understand the question, but can they possibly know the long-term consequences? No. Has mm-hmm. the kid had the same sex ed that you've just been going through as an adult? No. You're right. So that's <laughs> the kind of thing that um, that I really work in there with that. That's um, good. It's important. It is very important. Well, that sounds like an awesome model. It sounds like you're doing a lot of good for a lot of people. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I'm doing what I can. Uh, I have a couple of clients that have gotten to the point where we're now um, going out and I act as their wingman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you wingman with them. Yes, because again, um, I <laughs> That's have to, awesome. I have awesome. to see that you the behaviors... Are a- Right. Or what's a hitch? <laughs> I have to see, again, in applied behavior analysis, if the behaviors are not being applied properly, then I haven't done my job. Right. Wingmanning, going there and getting to watch them interact with girls who are not actresses, mm-hmm. um, getting them to inter- or, or watch their interactions, getting to watch on the faces of the people that they're interacting with what's going on. Seeing the response. And, yeah. see, and seeing his response to their reactions, all of that. I get to see all of that when I'm wingmanning. And then I can also come in with a cover story. Again, Peer's terminology, got to give them their credit there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cover story is a simple excuse. So I'll come in and I'll be like, hey, dude, I've been looking for you. You know, (laughs) I get them out of that situation. Yeah. Um, Those types of things. And they know that I'm going to be able to provide them a cover story in the event that things go kind of wrong. So they're a little bit more comfortable and they're more willing to take that risk and take that step and try to flirt. That's awesome. Yeah. You're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I agree. how did how did you do with uh, dating when you were younger? When it came to women, or no? Is that okay? Well, it, it started so not women. You're, you're it started. Gay, well, it started with women. Um, oh, it did. Okay. So uh, dating for me. Um, was one of those things where I thought that I had to do it because everybody was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else is doing it, why aren't you? Right? So uh, I would ask girls out, and uh, luckily I was kind of a cute kid. Um, mm-hmm. And even though I was weird, um, I kind of asked the weirder girls out a lot of the time. <laughs> And they would say yes. That's and cool. then we would date for like two or three days and have an explosive <laughs> argument or uh, or I would just like decide. every time. Oh, wow. <laughs> or I would decide that like, you know, they were just unappreciative of me. Uh, a couple of them, like after three or four days, like cheated on me in middle school. That quick. Like, in middle school. <laughs> that quick. That's crazy. Uh, so, Maybe they didn't understand the rules of dating. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, had, I had, and I, I know the number because I've had to answer this before. I had 36 girlfriends before coming out wow. at 15. <laughs> wow. I had two. Wow. Uh, well, I didn't come out, but before I was 15. I, maybe I was, three. Uh, uh, a ladies' man who could not make it past like a couple days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's all you can survive. <laughs> right. Um, so then uh, when I uh, came out, um, dating became a little bit easier. And I think that... Uh, People who are on the LGBT spectrum Mm -hmm. have had their own difficulties growing up, have been considered weird, have had social interactions Mm -hmm. um, punished versus reinforced. Mm -hmm. And so 
they're more open to accepting someone who is socially awkward, who does have some weird kind of behaviors, as long as they know that person's trying yeah. uh, and and listening and working towards it. Um, I'm not saying everybody on the LGBT spectrum is open and accepting. That mm-hmm. would be a, too much of a blanket statement. Sure. Um, but I would say that for me and in the experiences of some of my clients and overall uh, what I've found in trends and literature has been that LGBT groups are very accepting. I've noticed um, that. Yeah. Like we've met, I've, we have a couple of gay friends and we've ha- met a lot of people. And I have to say there are, most of them are very warm and welcoming people. Yeah. Like, and they're accepting of you being different. Yeah. And the more sex positive, the more open, welcoming, you yeah. know, yeah. like just in yeah. general, in general. Yeah. It's not even like even people <laughs> who are, we've met people who are poly and other different mm-hmm. lifestyles. They seem to be very, welcoming too there's this show on netflix called atypical i don't know if you've seen it it's, oh, i love it it's so on my list I, oh no oh my goodness there's this one scene the first scene where well or the, I, the first episode well there's a scene i wasn't going to talk about Not the first the episode no no that's the last episode babe. Oh. but there was one oh, episode okay. where he has a blow up with his girlfriend and he locks her in his closet yeah um but because she understands that people on the spectrum sometimes need breaks like so the dad walks in and he goes Where's your girl- Where is your girlfriend? She goes I'm in here Mr. Peterson or whatever his <laughs> name is and she's so like sweet and kind in the way she does it she goes he just ha- he just needed some time away from me so I'm in the closet and he's like you can't lock your girlfriend in the closet and he let her out of course but it was just a really interesting like interaction because she was touching his stuff. Like she, mm-hmm. that's what happened is he reacted to her putting her hands getting in his territory on everything and he yeah. was just like it overwhelmed him. Oh, yeah. It was such it's such a good show. <laughs> I definitely awesome. want to. Um, it is it is yeah. binge worthy. We watched we it all watched in like, it in a, day like or two. a day or two. We were like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is so amazing. It's hilarious and, it's, it's, it's and you sweet, learn a lot you know? about he's trying to date. You actually learn a lot about autism watching the show because they really like they bring his therapist into it. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. it's really awesome. And he has those missteps. You can I always would, take it off if you Yeah, if you can hurting. take those off. I would suggest <laughs> it like you should watch it and then I would suggest it for your clients. Like I think they could get a lot from it. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty amazing. Pretty For amazing sure. show. I do. Uh, I do try and tell my clients that you know it's a good idea to recognize that um, there's more uh, exposure in media now mm-hmm. to there's a lot minoritized yeah. groups and like mm-hmm. it's healthy to watch people on TV who are representative of you. It gives mm-hmm. you a, a, an increased sense of self-worth a lot of times, mm-hmm. um, validation that you're a person too, especially yeah. if it's realistic. The way they're portraying it. Like, I, I think there was a theme in the 90s of the, the magical kid with autism who would solve all your problems kind of thing. That happened. Well, and then you had Urkel. Urkel. Right? Is Urkel autistic? <laughs> uh, he, he definitely presented as somebody who was uh, uh, on the Asperger's side, but still quite impacted. Interesting. Um, I never thought of that. I've, I've gone back and... Uh, I like now binging the shows that I watched as a kid. I yeah. love, I love to, uh, I love nostalgia, and I think a lot uh-huh. of the people on the spectrum like to go back to things from when they were younger when they mm-hmm. can. Um, but I, I was binge watching Family Matters, and I was like, oh my gosh, Urkel is totally a spectrumite. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get this now. And then I'm watching it, and I'm like. But he's treated as such a weirdo freak. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but if he was on TV today, his show would be so different. 
Mm-hmm. And the closest character that I could find to Urkel on today's television is Sheldon from Big Bang Sheldon's Theory. Sheldon's awesome. And we Sheldon is awesome, He's right? Awesome. Everybody's like, oh, Sheldon's awesome. Yeah. And so that just yeah. shows the difference in the trends because mm-hmm. realistically speaking, they are the two most similar characters mm-hmm. that have been on television. And everybody loved Urkel. That's the thing. Everybody people did love him. Urkel. Would, it's just the people on the show. go too far well, and not show, understand social cues. Right. People and, didn't understand where he was coming from and they were kind of mean to him about it. I was going to say, the, the way that people <laughs> reacted to Urkel on the show. Right. It was um, a lot more aggressive. Intentionally, like, you know, uh, tricking him into leaving the house and then locking the doors mm-hmm. behind him. Things yeah. like that. Yeah, that's um, never fun. <laughs> no. They, so they don't do stuff like that on TV these days, which is good. But yeah. honestly, that was kind of reflective of what a lot of people were doing with uh, their children uh, or their family members who had intellectual disabilities and yeah. autism, and it's still they weren't today. They weren't necessarily diagnosed in that era as Not, much. Yeah, or um, even after diagnosis, some parents um, they have a hard time with it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so they they try and escape themselves whenever they can. They try not to have their kid labeled as autistic. That does happen sometimes too yeah 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 well and some people just don't know how to work with it you know i I definitely see a generational shift but like i mean we even know people where like in the old generation having a child that's autistic they were diagnosed now but in that historic time everybody just kind of said oh she's just she's just um, different she's just got issues she's Mm -hmm. just different and the Mm -hmm. whole time like looking back it's like oh no that was she had autism 100 percent, she had autism yeah um, but you know, like there's a lot of, uh, stigma for people with any mental illness to be fair. Oh, yeah. And, um, if you did, we didn't, we've only kind of more recently been accepting as a culture of people on the spectrum of any and understanding or of yeah. any disability really, yeah. to be fair. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty and, awesome. Uh, for some people on the autism spectrum, I'd like to point out, uh, it's typically the ones who are, um, what are referred to as higher functioning, but, mm-hmm. uh, some of them don't even think like of that it as a disability. Oh, yeah. Um, some oh. of them think of it as something that makes them unique and yeah. something that they can be proud of. Yeah. Um, there's a, a local activist that I've uh, teamed up with to um, do some public speaking, and she is just so adamant that um, autism is part of what makes her awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of things about myself that um, I think back to when I was a kid and I was less socially focused and mm-hmm. I was more focused on facts and, and things like that. <clears throat> and like, I mean, I was five years old and I could tell you that Kakarid on Kakarius was the real name of a great white shark. Like <laughs> I still don't know. I, I, was, that that, I was that kid. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would tell you about all the different theories of dinosaur um, extinction. Like I knew, I knew all of these different things. You know, uh, do you still know all these t- extinction oh, yeah. level events? So those things have, uh, have awesome. stuck with me through the years. Uh, and, People sometimes are like, wow, you know, the most interesting and strangest things. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, because I was an interesting and strange Because you love to study everything. <laughs> yeah. And that I, I am okay with. Um, yeah. And my partner is not on the spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. We're engaged. Um, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. Uh, we've been living together for two years and it's been, uh, well, almost two years. Mm-hmm. And it's been uh, initially, it was kind of a struggle. My partner um, was new to the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Was uh, that your first time cohabitating with a partner? In uh, a long time, yeah. and uh, prior to that, it was uh, when I was much younger, and mm-hmm. it was people that I was like, 
they need help. Um, so even though I just met them and we're just starting to date, they can move in. Okay. <laughs> um, as I got older, uh, you know, learned more and more about these types of things. No, I don't do that, especially yeah. after getting ripped off multiple times. Oh, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> but so I'm, I kind of think it, it sounds like you, what you believe or um, I don't know if believe is the right word, but basically that, you know, like given given the right tools and the ability to kind of learn social cues and, and basically exist in the world that people on the spectrum can just be unique parts of the average <laughs> population yes you know yeah. emphasis on the unique parts but unique, yeah. but not in a good way i want to say absolutely. in a positive way like absolutely. they can learn the same social cues that other people have it may just take a few extra steps mm-hmm. and for um for some uh i would say that that is not a, an achievable goal okay. Um, okay and for others it is and for those who can achieve it um knowing that it is achievable um is a good starting place, mm-hmm. um, believing in themselves. But uh, no matter who the person is, no matter how impacted they are, um, perhaps the best skill that I honestly teach is mindfulness, is coping, is getting through. Um, and I love uh, sensate focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sensate focus and sex therapy. Um, What's is, sensate focus? It's, uh, it's a touch type therapy. That's, lots of touch. Um, that initially avoids uh, the vagina, the penis, the <laughs> the boobs. It's for an <laughs> intimate. Yeah. So, okay. And you can tell it can more. Also, uh, it can also be done by uh, an individual if they want to get in touch with themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you focus entirely on temperature, texture, pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're trying to do is you're trying to, um, keep yourself focused in the present moment Mm -hmm. through temperature, pressure, and texture and learn to stay in the moment Mm -hmm. and learn to, uh, kind of appreciate and acknowledge temperature, pressure, and texture. Mm -hmm. Um, because you can learn a lot about yourself, your partner, um, what feels true. good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but that's not the goal, right? Yeah. The goal in sensate focus is, um, is more to observe, mm-hmm. uh, than to, uh, it's, it's about feeling, not yeah. about feeling, it's not good. about the finish and igniting your nerve <laughs> endings. I always talk yes. about it in terms of, you know, like, I think a lot of times people are in their head, like in their cognitive head, right. thinking about like, is that's this right? Should mindful. I do this? Should I do not? Yeah. And, and what it's trying to teach you is to be a little bit more in your body and your nerve endings. Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, um, it's something that so you're not paying attention to the spinner. Yeah. And you're not trying exactly. to get to orgasm necessarily, that's which right. is why, you know, because everybody, a lot of people, that's the end goal. We're going into sex to get an orgasm. And right. this is just a, a unique way to re-experience you, sexuality in a much slower way. <laughs> yes. You, uh, you remove spontaneity in a way that actually increases spontaneity later. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it increases, um, mindfulness. And so mm-hmm. I do use um, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is pronounced ACT uh, in my applied behavior analysis interventions, and then also with my sex therapy clients. Um, and then uh, Sensate Focus, I use with my sex therapy clients um, for uh, partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then none of my uh, current gentlemen um, who are individual clients getting applied behavior analysis uh, have actually successfully at this point um, gotten a partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on it and we're getting there. A lot of them are getting close, which is really cool. We've only been open for two years and I didn't really have a caseload until about a year ago. So okay. we're doing pretty good. You're doing good. Uh, but the, uh, the 
sensate focus can be incorporated into applied behavior analysis. And that's something that I'm actually working on a paper um, about uh, because it is empirically validated. Um, it's actually been empirically validated longer than ACT. Um, ACT studies have, have been since about, um, as far as I'm aware, the early 90s, where a sensate focus study started in the mid 60s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with Masters and Johnson. With Masters and Johnson. <laughs> I know them. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's been tons of, of uh, proof that sensate focus is a very effective tool when done correctly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, understood. And understood. <laughs> um, a lot of people, again, they think that the goal is to. Um, to achieve arousal or mm-hmm. to feel good. And the goal is to feel temperature, pressure, texture. That's your goal. <laughs> to notice. <laughs> to notice, right? Um, and to stay in the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Because the more you are in the moment, um, the more things like anxiety, um, so things like performance anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anxiety, uh, fears, um, and also uh, not just performance anxiety, but performance in general. Yeah. So um, when we are sexual with somebody, um, and I think everybody's guilty of this, when you like a touch, you you kind of move into it. Oh, yeah. You and, grind And into you might it, yeah. like make a noise like, oh, oh yeah. and you're, tra- you're trying to <laughs> communicate <laughs> to your partner mm-hmm. that this feels good. Keep doing this. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you learn to like make these motions or like arch your back to look like super sexy. If you're yeah. going to be taking it from behind, <laughs> those kinds of things. Uh, you learn to do those things. Um, and those are performance related. Like honestly, arching your back. Um, if the person's going to have their hands on your back and you're arching it, you might end up with a lower back issue. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, so to go back to that sensate stuff, we're also teaching communication skills in a sexual yes. situation. And, um, you're teaching it in a way that is not performance related. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to show my partner what I need. My partner is going to, um, to be able to be so in the moment that they are able to recognize without me having to go, ah, and make this giant motion. <laughs> if I'm just like, hmm, they notice, they notice. because yeah. they're there. They're present. Uh, if, uh, if I like something, they're in the moment with me and they're able to, um, to kind of, provide it more if that's what also is something that they want to do. And one thing that I love about the initial phase of sensate focus is the removal of trying to provide the other partner pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all about, it's not about pleasuring. Yeah. No, that's why I said uh, people who are trying to feel good through sensate focus, uh, uh, they end up messing it up because they're trying mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. trying to find pleasure. They're worried about performance. So as when well. you're being yes. touched, though, you do kind of let your partner know if it's hurting or it's irritating. Through for a the process most... called handwriting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're trying to make it. It almost sounds like you're trying to make sex in a sensate focus more or intimacy more mundane. So they're not overthinking it. It's in. It's because you're not worried moment. about. It's, it's more in the moment. Yeah. Right. Um, it's more. You're. But if you do it enough and you're in the moment, it makes it casual. So yeah. when you're in. An actual intimate moment, and you are trying to have sex. Yeah, all of the skills are transferable. It, when makes people it a get easier, it, easier. You're not going to be in your head. That's mm-hmm. right. It when, generalizes well. When clients get it, like they kind of, it like comes together, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I see these skills. This is teaching us things about like how to stop overthinking it, how to kind of let go, how to get lost in the moment, and how to communicate well with each other, both verbally and non-verbally." Yes, mm-hmm. and it's really important to note that insensate focus after each round um, of the therapy, the partners are encouraged 
encouraged to write in a book um, about anything that kind of pulled them away from the moment, um, write in the book about anything that they noticed. And then they're also encouraged to communicate with each other what Mm -hmm. they experienced during that. And that communication is something that a lot of partners have never taken the time to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about what you liked, what you didn't like. Yes. That's Um, important. Yeah, I've heard people who never talk to each other about sex. They just get in there and... Right. Uh, Well, and and you're also learning. So you might communicate new things that you never knew. Like, Mm -hmm. I really liked it when you used the back of your hand and your knuckle went along my hip bone. Right. Mm -hmm. I would never have known that because you've never used the back of your hand. Thank you, you Sensate Focus, for teaching Mm -hmm. us to explore. Thanks. (laughs) And to tell each other afterwards so you can repeat behaviors that work. That's right. They're nice. Um, so Sensate Focus is something that um, I'm trying to bring into the applied behavior analysis community. Um, applied behavior analysis is something that I'm trying to bring into the sex therapy community. Um, and it should be noted that a behavior analyst cannot be called a sex therapist under the behavior analyst title because they are not uh, considered uh, amicable with each other. They don't work together. Um at least as far as most people think. And that's because when people think, uh, a lot of behavior analysts think of sex therapy, they think of purely psychodynamics. Mm-hmm. They think mm-hmm. of purely, how do you feel? Um, uh, and Most sex therapists are more behavior-based, I've noticed. Are. Like, uh, I do all behavior-based treatment, and I still work with the cognitive and feelings, but, like, it's it's a lot of similar things where it's like, what are we going to act on? How are we going to shift this behavior? Exactly. Yeah. And- and that's I, why you're a good therapist. That's why a lot of people, they'll see me for sex therapy, but then they'll see me for other things too because they're like, you're at least giving us actions to take, whereas other mm-hmm. therapists may just have them talk. And, Tell us how you feel. And it's not that talking <laughs> isn't helpful, sure. but you still have to have action-oriented interventions. Absolutely. To go along with the yes. talk. Uh, or it feels like we just paid to talk and like we always talk. What are we going right. to do? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, do uh, something. A- I know. Applied behavior analysis um, is very uh, rigid in that Things have to be empirically validated and measurable, observable. Um, And so uh, I like that I have that foundation. But I also, um, in learning about sex therapy and being in practicum in sex therapy, um, I see the potential for so much overflow between the two Mm -hmm. if done properly. You should write the book about it. (laughs) That's that's what I'm trying to do because um, I am the first board-certified behavior analyst um, who has ever pursued certification as a sex therapist. Um, so (laughs) this is something that I do intend to write about. Um, right now it's a paper, but maybe someday a book. Okay, cool. All a book is, is a bunch of papers slammed together. Um, yeah. (laughs) Well, so how long? I mean, I, we're, we're actually, we're actually out of time. running yeah. out of time here. Oh, that was sorry. We could no. probably keep talking. Like, it's so interesting. But no, like, it, was, wow. it was really great information. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, so this has been the About Sex Podcast. We've been talking with, what's your Nicholas name? Nicholas Mayo. Mayo. I, forgot his, I forgot his first name. <laughs> Nicholas been talking Mayo. talking with Hitch for Autism. Uh, Hitch for <laughs> Autism. There you Nicholas go. Nicholas Mayo. Be sure to add us on Facebook, review us on iTunes, or send us your question to a about sex podcast at gmail.com. I'm Joshua Skirtu. Before we end, Hold let's on. give our plugs. I forgot. I <laughs> so skipped. do you have any final plugs for how people can um, Contact find you? you. Yep. Absolutely. First, uh, I'd like to emphasize applied behavior analysis works for any population, uh-huh. not just autism. Um, so you can hit me up even if you don't have autism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are reachable at www.empoweredcenter.com dot com all one word um and 
I can be reached uh, by email at Nicholas, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dot Mayo, M as in Mary, A-I-O at empoweredcenter.com. Sounds good. Excellent. And then, of course, I've got my book, uh, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity, and I am doing a webinar with AAMFT in April about advanced, an advanced look at polyamory and kink lifestyles. And so um, join us if you're interested. And of course, if you want therapy with me, it's www.therapistandstlouis.com. So I'm Angela Skirtu. And I'm Joshua Skirtu. <laughs> Stay kinky, St. Louis. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. <laughs>